Well, it's a great joy to have the McPhails with us today. They were with us about three years ago uh, and uh, were at the time serving uh, pretty much exclusively just as missionaries there in Cambodia through GFA missions. And uh, in recent time, uh, the Lord has allowed their ministry to expand a little bit. And uh, Brother McPhail is going to come and share a little bit about that and open the word to us. So Brother McPhail, if you'd come. I've known Brother McPhail uh, since the 90s when I was his high school computer teacher up in Schaumburg, Illinois. And so it's been exciting to see God's hand upon him, his, his love for Jesus Christ, and his work ethic in the gospel. And so it's a great joy to have him and his family here with us today. So, Brother McPhail. He was my computer teacher. So, some of you are, went to school pre-computer days. Uh, I was at the beginning of the computer days, and so we used floppy disks. My children don't know what those are, and uh, so they're all having school on computer entirely. What an amazing thing. Well, what a great way to start a service. Get to see someone get baptized and then sing Jesus Saves right after that. Oh, man, that's awesome. Um, it's hard to not get emotional there, too emotional. Um, if you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 9 with me, please. Uh, we've been in Cambodia for 20 years now. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, 20 years have gone by. Went to Cambodia after not knowing the Lord was going to call us into missions not long previous to leaving. We didn't, I didn't prepare to be a missionary. The Lord just called us to do that uh, when I was in seminary and we went off to Cambodia. Been there 20 years now. And like Pastor Wood just said, um, not only do we serve in Cambodia still as missionaries, but we also act as the regional director for our mission. Gospel Fellowship Association. So we have 40 missionaries, adults, uh, in our region. So we travel around to see them. Uh, we have lots of various ministries with those missionaries and with some of their national uh, counterparts as well, but I'll get into that tonight. This morning we're going to get into God's Word. I am so blessed. Um, when Dr. Batori called me... Um, I was in Cambodia. We were actually in Phnom Penh, and in order to get a good signal on my phone, I saw him, I saw his name show up on my phone. I was like, whoa, Dr. Batori, what is he calling me for? And we were in a little hotel room there in Phnom Penh, and I went out into the balcony, and uh, <laughs> he's talking to me, and he tells me about whether or not I would be willing to pray about being the regional director for GFA for Asia. And while he's still on the phone, I'm going like this. <laughs> and the reason why was because for several years leading up to that, the Lord was, through health issues I was dealing with, making it obvious that I could no longer do church planning like we used to do. And we were coming alongside of other missionaries, and um, we had a great privilege in doing that too, coming alongside other missionaries and helping them. But our heart was getting... Enlarged. We were wanting to, especially me, wanting to go into more ministry of encouraging other missionaries. We've been missionaries so long, we understand what missionaries are dealing with, and just having a pastoral heart towards other missionaries and wanting to reach out to them. And we were doing that in Cambodia already. 
So when uh, Dr. Batori asked if you do that with GFA, that just met my heart's desire. Uh, Jennifer was a little bit more slow about that, uh, but God got a hold of her about that too, and she does just fine. She's a wonderful uh, help in that ministry and works well with ladies. So we just praise the Lord for the privilege that we have to interact with so many of God's servants around the world and try to encourage them. But we're still living in Cambodia, and we still have ministry in Cambodia as well. Uh, it was interesting. We've, we've got a sticker on the back of our car, a little Cambodian flag. So uh, on the way to the Reed's house yesterday, uh, a Cambodian waved at us, and he stopped next to us at the light, and he rolled down his window, and he's all happy and, and excited and going like this. And so he rolled down the window, and he says, you've been to Cambodia? I said, yeah, we've been living there for 20 years. He said, I can't believe it. And he was so overjoyed to meet somebody who was from Cambodia and spoke his language. He was so excited. He said, I haven't met a single Cambodian in all of South Carolina. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was a lot of fun seeing him. I was reading God's word the other day in uh, Zechariah 10, and the Lord was expressing in that book his hot anger against the political and religious leaders of Israel. They were supposed to shepherd his people Israel and lead them in God's truth, supposed to guide them in the knowledge of God. And instead, Zechariah 10 says, the people wandered like sheep. They were afflicted for lack of a shepherd. The Lord said that he would punish their leaders because of this failure because the Lord cared for his, his flock and they weren't caring for his flock. And that reminded me about this passage of scripture today. In Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus says something very similar about how God looks at the people in Matthew chapter 9. And some of you are very familiar with Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is at the height of his ministry. Everywhere Jesus goes, people are following him. They want to they hear his words. They want to see him. They want to touch him. You know, you've got groupies who just want to be where the star is, you know. Uh, people that want to see miracles. Um, Amazing things were happening and people were hearing about it and they wanted to go see, for it, see it with their own eyes. People were ill and wanting to be healed. Uh, people had loved ones that were you know, demon-possessed and wanting to take them to Christ. And people are following him everywhere. And you know all about this as you read the Gospels about this aspect of Jesus' life when he was a man here on earth. Then you come to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. How profound. Every single person healed. All of them. 100%. How incredible that is. Just to ponder, to ponder that reality by itself. Then in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus gives us a command here. He looks at the multitude in front of him. He knows their hearts. He knows that a lot of them aren't there to see him because they care about his words. 
He knows that a lot of them just want to see miracles. A lot of them just want to get something from Jesus. They want to be healed and that's it. They don't care about him or his message or who he is, really. He knows all that, and yet he looks at these crowds and he has compassion on them, and he sees them like, like scattered sheep. Uh, sheep are symbolic of the dumbest and the most uh, helpless animals there are. And they are very common in Israel, so lots of allusions to sheep in the Bible. And Jesus looks at them and says, they're like sheep scattered, they don't have a shepherd. They're fainting, they're weary, they're wounded, they're hounded, they're distracted, they don't know where they're going. There's no one to guide them. And that's what Jesus says of the lost all around him. So then he gives us this command. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. So my question is, why does Jesus give us that command? Of all the things to command us to pray about, why does he command us, his disciples, to pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest? Why was it so significant that he said this to his disciples? Well, then you go to Luke chapter 10, and you see Jesus says something similar uh, to his disciples there. Luke chapter 10, a different situation. Jesus is about, he's already chosen 70 disciples to go to the villages ahead of him and prepare for his coming, to be preaching about the kingdom of God, to be telling the people that Jesus is coming that way so that people knew. And uh, they were already chosen to go out. And then Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 10 of Luke, After these things the Lord appointed another 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, he says to these 70, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Why would Jesus tell the 70 people that he is sending, they've already been chosen, they're already going to go out and do missions work ahead of him, and he says to them, you pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. So I want to talk about why this prayer is so important for us. First of all, it helps us stay focused on God's practical purpose for our lives. Many of us know the Great Commission. You can quote it for me. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Does anybody want to do that? Nobody wants to quote it. All right, since everyone's timid and afraid, let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and just read it because I'm used to quoting it in different languages and stuff, so I'm going to look at it myself. <laughs> Matthew 28 and verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Elijah was baptized this morning. How was he baptized? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he has come to Christ and has become a disciple of God. And now, verse 20, Elijah, like the rest of us, need to be taught to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded us. That is the Great Commission. Go and teach all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them when they get converted. Teach them to follow Jesus Christ. 
And that is Christ's final command to us. That's his will for us as his people, that we make disciples, that our lives are organized around this command to make disciples. That's our practical purpose for living today. Those are our marching orders. If we're going to live out our Christianity, if we're going to please Jesus Christ with our life as believers in Him, then we need to make making disciples an important part of who we are. Okay, we have a problem. Some people are looking at me and saying, Forrest, why are you preaching on this right now? Aren't you aware of what's going on in the world? Come on. We just had an election that's in chaos, and we don't know who our next president is going to be, and there's all kinds of stuff coming across the news, fake news, real news, everything's got crazy. Uh, we've got COVID going on and lockdowns, and the world economy shaky, and we don't know what's going on. And you're going to talk to us about missions today? Come on. Is this really timely? <laughs> we've got violence spreading in our country. We've got extremists who are socialist and Black Lives Matter people who are extremists in those movements causing all kinds of problems. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ in America more than ever before. The world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ like never before. We need to calibrate our lives back to its primary purpose and not get distracted by all these other things. And remember why Jesus has us here. We are here to make disciples. We are here to make sure that Jesus is proclaimed. Are your immediate family members disciples of Jesus Christ? How about your grandchildren, your children? How about your nieces and nephews, your cousins? How about your neighbors? Are they disciples of Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing them by the grace of God and seeking to make disciples for His name? You are called by God to pray for them, to work in, at seeing them come to saving faith. So we need to be constantly prioritizing our lives around this. It doesn't matter how busy we are. It doesn't matter what kind of jobs we have, whether we're retired or not, no matter what our age is, what our, no matter what our health situation is like. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to organize our lives around this command. And this prayer to pray for laborers to enter into the harvest keeps us focused on that main thing, the Great Commission. There are a lot of good things that can distract us, right? It doesn't have to be the bad things. Good things can distract us from the Great Commission, too. Can you name a few of them for me? Some good things that might be distractions? Work? Okay. Work? You can overwork, and work just in the fact that it wears you out can lend itself to you feeling like the rest of your day is my time not for other people. What's another good thing that can take your focus away from the Great Commission? Family can do that. All right? We have incredible responsibilities towards our family, don't we? Trying to juggle work 
family, ministry of the gospel, that's complicated. And it is. But we need to remember the Great Commission and pray, Lord, send us, send laborers into the harvest. Something else that uh, this prayer is good for is that it helps us continually acknowledge the spiritual reality all around us. Uh, the harvest truly is great. There are eternal souls all around us. People are eternal people. Uh, people are going to be in heaven or they're going to be in hell for all of eternity, and that's every single person we come across in a day. Now, all this craziness going on right now, we can get so angry. You think of election fraud. You think of corruption and all the doublespeak and double talk in the news. And uh, the way that people are just pitted against each other. And we can almost look at somebody who's of a different political party or thinks differently about the election and almost just be full of anger towards them. When what we ought to be having towards the other side is compassion. If it's true that the other side has given into corruption, if they've been blinded, then those things are spiritual blindness, not just practical issues. And we ought to be concerned for them. Our hearts ought to go out to them. How can it be that people can burn a city and break into stores and have open theft and be hurting people and beating people up and say that they deserve to be able to do this? Seriously? What kind of spiritual darkness is over the heart of a person that can do that and say that and do that on camera? and be okay with it without a conscience. That should break our hearts. Have we come to this? We have people around us in our community that are that far gone? Acknowledge the spiritual need, the ugliness of sin, the cultural evils that are all around us. They can make us... They can make us forget the spiritual need and just focus on that ugliness. We can, get, we can get bitter against people. We can get angry at these people. They're ruining our country. They're, they're taking away our privileges and our freedoms. We hate these people. That is anti-Christ. Christ would look out across those people and have compassion on them. So this prayer reminds us of the reality of the spiritual harvest, reminds us that we're responsible to do something about it when we pray this way. Lord, send laborers into the harvest, and that automatically means that all of us have something to do about that. Another reason why this prayer can be so important to us is that it helps us have the heart of God. I've already explained this passage, how Jesus looks across at these people. So many passages of Scripture point us and keep pointing us to God's heart towards the world. The favorite verse of all time is John 3.16, right? 
For God so loved the world. It doesn't matter who they are, what their sin problems are, what their political opinions and ideologies are. It doesn't matter what they've done. God loves them and gave his son for them that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have eternal life because of God's love. The Lord is not slow, in 2 Peter 3, to fulfill his promise about coming again, as some people count being slow, but God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God coming out in these passages of Scripture. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if Jesus does, if God the Father does, should you? All, every one. There should be no room in our hearts for looking at anybody in our society or anywhere around the world and despising them, thinking little of them, thinking less of them than Jesus does. And that's hard for us. That's hard because of our own pride. We want to think ourselves better than other people. Especially when we're right. We need compassion for the lost in order to be like Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit was given to us, that we might be able to have the heart of God. And one of the means that God's Spirit uses to teach us that compassion is prayer. Do you think that your heart of compassion for unbelievers would grow or weaken if you prayed, Lord, send laborers into your harvest? The harvest is truly great and laborers are few. Lord, send laborers into, harvest, into your harvest. And you prayed that every day. Do you think your compassion would grow or lessen? Obviously, it is going to grow. Could it be that some believers in Christ don't want to pray this prayer because they know what it might mean to them? If they start praying this prayer, they might have to do something about it. Better not to pray. Someone said the most Christian compassion is compassion to souls. It is the most Christ-like. We must have compassion for the lost. Someone else said, Why is it that we do not obey the injunction of the master more heartily and cry more earnestly for laborers? There are two reasons for this. The one is, we miss the compassion of Jesus, which gives rise to this request for prayer. So what do we do? What do we do if we realize, I am apathetic? I really don't have a heart of compassion. I, I, I am not moved, and I know it. I don't look at my coworkers as someone who needs Jesus Christ for salvation. I don't look at people around me in my neighborhood as people that need to be saved. I'm not thinking regularly about being a witness for Christ. I am missing that element in my life. What do you do if that is true for you? You pray this prayer. And you pray this prayer earnestly. 
And God will reward your faith in praying that prayer with the compassion that he wants you to have. Another reason that this, I believe this prayer has been given to us is it helps us to understand the state of the harvest itself. The harvest really is plenteous. Boy, we have a lot of church buildings. A whole lot of church buildings around. Incredible numbers of those churches don't even preach Christ. Salvation by grace through faith in the Lord. There's so much false doctrine and open sin in so many of the professed churches. Only God knows how many are faithfully preaching His name. The harvest is incredible. What does it do to you? You might say, yes, yes, we we understand. We've heard this so many times. I feel bad about it. Okay, are you doing something about it? Pray this prayer. Laborers are indeed few. Laborers are always in short supply relative to the need. That's true. It's true in every generation that believers in Christ, a number of them are not going to work in the harvest. They're not going to in disobedience to Christ. And then there will be this minority who are going to do something about this and they're going to organize their lives around making disciples for Jesus Christ. And they're going to be one of those few laborers. But that doesn't have to be true of this church. It shouldn't be true that this body of believers has just a handful of people who are laboring. It could be that most of you are laboring. If we don't make the Great Commission a center point for our life, there's nothing else to say but it's disobedience to Jesus Christ. It's disobedience. Sometimes it can be slavery to sin in your life that just chokes the desire to share the gospel with other people out because you know you're not living for Christ. You know you've got sin issues and you're not dealing with them before the Lord and that takes away your desire to give the gospel. That's one reason. Sometimes people just love their comfort and convenience and they're just not going to give up. They, they love coming home at night eating supper and sitting in front of the TV for five straight hours before they go to bed. Invite somebody over. Go visit people in the evening. Are you kidding? The desire to indulge ourselves after a long day of work. Sometimes we're just plain lazy. We just want to coast along. We've got enough stress in our life already. Why add to that by getting involved in other people's problems? Because once you get involved in the Great Commission, what are you getting involved in? You're getting involved in other people's problems because people are sinners and they need to be saved. And even when they come to saving faith in Christ, there's a whole lot of baggage, sins to be dealt with many times. And getting involved in other people's lives is messy. Some of us want our freedom to indulge in our hobbies. We have lots of reasons. 
But this prayer reminds us, the harvest field is large and laborers are always few. The prayer confronts us. Am I a laborer or a lazy and irresponsible servant standing off on the side in the shade, only occasionally, occasionally looking at those who are actually doing something? Don't think of other people. Think of yourself. Have you ever even prayed this prayer? Jesus commands us as his people to pray this prayer. Have you ever even prayed it before? Another reason this prayer is so helpful is it helps us realize that God uses prayers for laborers to call laborers. God has ordained in his sovereignty somehow in a way that I don't understand. God has chosen somehow to bind how he works in the, in, the, in the gospel work in the world to the prayers of his saints. I don't know how that functions, but it's true. Someone said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. It is not the only thing, but it, it is the chief thing. Our asking and expecting and God's doing jointly bring to pass things that otherwise would not come to pass. Prayer changes things. This is the great fact of prayer. After reminding us that God raises up laborers for the harvest and also that God calls pastors and evangelists and teachers, Andrew Murray said, But have we nothing to do in this matter? I answer, we have much to do. Our Lord himself has told us what it is. These gifts are bestowed in answer to prayer, meaning pastors and teachers and missionaries, evangelists. The harvest is great and the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. If in earnest prayer we look up to him for those gifts which he has received for us, he will assuredly bestow them abundantly. Such seems to me to be the plan of the master for the supply of the ministry. Can we devise a better plan? Are you aware right now that there are many, many churches in America that don't have pastors? Many! Are you aware that there are very few people relative to the need even pursuing the opportunity to be a teacher, pastor of the Word of God. The church of Jesus Christ in America is almost at the point of an emergency. This huge vacuum of leadership that's going to hit. It's already hitting, and they say in about 10 more years, there's going to be a whole other large percentage of churches that don't have pastors. What do we do about that? This prayer. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's God's means to provide such people. Pray that God would send forth laborers. Another reason this prayer is so important is it helps us to see that harvesting actually requires labor to bring in the harvest. 
We are called to labor for the Great Commission. What does that word labor imply? Labor. Okay, work. But more than that, right? The word labor means a little bit more than work. What's the implication of that word? Work hard to the point of exhaustion, being worn out. So God's plan for us while we are on this earth, while we are living for Him, is that we are getting tired because of our laboring in the harvest. That's going to mean different things for different people. But laboring, it's always going to make us tired. It's always going to require self-denial. It's always going to require putting other people first. It's always going to require self-discipline to make yourself do it because the flesh is going to fight to the death about living for other people. Some of the laborers are going to need to be set apart by God completely for that work. There are some people who need to be set apart for the gospel completely as their vocation. Pray that God would raise up laborers. It requires labor. One more. This prayer helps motivate us to send out laborers. This is what makes us missions-minded. This is what makes us wanting to, to help prepare people for the ministry and to prepare the next generation to lead and to do something. Because this prayer, those laborers that God sets apart, they have to be sent out. And it's local churches that send them out, identifies them and sends them. When we pray and give and send out laborers, as was uh, said in Sunday school this morning, we co-labor with God. We co-labor with Him. Someone said, prayer is the remedy offered by Jesus in this crisis for a larger supply of pastors. How seldom do we hear prayers for more preachers? Someone else said, no argument will be sufficient to persuade men to the weighty work of the ministry with an intention to fulfill it, but the power of God inclining their hearts to it. You had need, therefore, pray unto God that he would send, no, that he would thrust out laborers into his harvest. Pray for God to do this. What a blessing it would be if this body of believers right here was used of the Lord to see not just a congregation wrapped around the Great Commission itself, but that several men, a handful of people, were going out, set apart for our God, full-time into the gospel ministry from this congregation, because this congregation prioritized this prayer, because God will use that prayer. So what a powerful prayer this is. If we obey the Lord and pray this prayer regularly and fervently, God will work in us, God will work in His people, and you will see God do some things. So make it your commitment to pray for laborers like this on a regular basis. 
pastors can fail to pray for the harvest. Missionaries can even get sidetracked and fail to pray for God to raise up laborers. This prayer is vital to us all. When I was in the Philippines this last year, I was with some uh, Filipino pastors, and they were talking about missions, and someone mentioned the 936, the 936 prayer. Anybody ever heard of that? The 936 prayer? Matthew 936 is our passage, or Matthew 938. About, uh, let me get that right here, which exact verse that is. Matthew 9 and verse 38, that's right. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The Matthew 9.38 prayer, what they meant by that is every morning at the strike of the clock at 9.38, they would stop whatever they're doing and pray for the Lord to send forth laborers in the harvest. In the evening at night, 9.38, they pray for the Lord to send forth laborers into his harvest. It actually set alarms on their watch to remind themselves to pray that prayer. That would be helpful to some. So I'm going to ask you, what is keeping you prayerless about the harvest, if that is true of you? I would like to urge you to ask God to make it very clear to you why it is that you haven't been praying this prayer, and then to start doing it in obedience to the Lord. Have you ever come to the point in your own life where the Great Commission becomes a priority to you? A priority to your family? Does your life revolve around that? Or is it just a side thing? In Luke 10, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then he said, again, he said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the next three words are, go your way. Go to it. Go fulfill this ministry. I'm preaching this message from the perspective of a cross-cultural missionary, yes. But I'm also preaching it from the heart of a director of a mission agency, Gospel Fellowship Association that is extremely burdened right now because where do missionaries come from? They come from churches. If the churches aren't alive and aren't thriving about the Great Commission, there aren't missionaries sent. How do missionaries get support? From churches. If churches aren't prioritizing the Great Commission, and if individuals within the congregation are not praying this way, their hearts aren't going to be burdened that way, and so missionaries aren't able to get to the field. And our mission, Dr. McAllister is over the part of the ministry of the mission where it's trying to raise awareness in churches about this need, get people praying about this, trying to send out a call for God's people to pray about God raising up laborers for the harvest. Very burdened about this. For our own people here in America and also for what it means globally in our opportunities uh, for the Lord.
So I urge you, begin praying this prayer. As directors at the mission, we pray every Thursday morning for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Because of Zoom, and no matter where we are, we're having that meeting every Thursday morning. <laughs> and if, it's in, if I'm in Cambodia, it's Thursday night. <laughs> and we're joining in in prayer, and we're praying, and the whole primary purpose of that particular prayer meeting on Thursday morning is this, what Jesus said. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in humbling himself and becoming a man, taking on the human form, the Son of God made man. All of what you endured, all of the suffering on the cross, your spirit taking upon yourself, all the sins of everyone in this room, all the sins of the whole world throughout all of time in his, on his body on the cross, the agony of paying for those sins. I thank you that you conquered sin and death by rising again from the dead and that you live forevermore and that all who call upon you will be saved. I thank you for your great patience with your people. We thank you that you don't give your people, once they've believed on you, what they deserve either. You show us such patience, such kindness, such uh, faithfulness that we don't deserve. I pray that you'd help us as believers in Jesus Christ to have as a priority in our own lives as individuals the Great Commission to make disciples. Help us to obey you about this prayer and to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into your harvest. And Lord, we don't know why you have chosen to act this way and in some ways bind yourselves to our prayers. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to pray. Help us not to be guilty of being prayerless in this way. I pray that you would work in Anchor Baptist Church, that you would raise up laborers, both the membership to be laborers for the Great Commission in the harvest, and that you would allow them to also see some set apart for the harvest labor. Pray that you would do these things and bless them for it and allow them to have the joy of this. So Lord, whoever needs this message this morning, particularly, I pray that they would receive it by faith and be obedient these important truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.